AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hello, welcome to AT&T Threat Track for September 27th, 2016. This program provides network security highlights, discussion, and countermeasures for cyber threats. Today, we're joined by a special guest, Dan Rubin, the producer of our program, <laughs> as well as the producer of our internal awareness programs as well. So welcome, Dan. Glad uh, to have you here today. Uh, good to be here. Yeah, you know, you've been behind the scenes for so long. <laughs> It's just been inevitable that you join us on the program. So. Well, you know, after I, we brought out the cake on uh, episode 200, everybody was saying, well, they got to get you back on the show again. So <laughs> it was only a matter of time. And I'm guessing you're going to explain a little bit about the garments we're wearing. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, we're, we've got a new uniform for the show just for this week. Um, it's uh, part of the AT&T's internal security awareness program. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. All right. Very good. I have Joe Harton here. Welcome, Joe. Thanks. Glad to have you back. And we have online John Markley. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me. I'm Brian Rexroad, and uh, the first thing we're going to do, we're going to go over to you, Dan. And uh, well, this is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, so uh, tell us a little about what AT&T is doing. Well, it's our favorite time of year. We run a, a program for over 300,000 people here at AT&T. And for National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, we decided we were going to go with the theme of the time, the thing that everybody's talking about, at least here in the US and pretty much all over the world and to a certain extent. And we decided to have an election theme. So we've been running for the past couple of months with uh, things like t-shirts where our character Murray has been running for a undetermined office and we've been asking people to show their support for a platform that includes talking about things like careful what you click, careful how you share data, careful about holding on to old files, and we've been encouraging people to participate in a bunch of different ways mm -hmm. so that they all kind of contribute to understanding the message as well as having a little bit of fun with what we've, we're mm -hmm. trying to teach them. And of course, Murray got an endorsement from the threat track. That, that's absolutely <laughs> right. I think we'll be able to uh, play that while we're, we're talking here. The, we got the whole crew of threat track together to come and say that they support the Murray Edna ticket. That's one of the things that we've been encouraging people throughout the company is where we've got people all over the world to have them record videos mm -hmm. supporting the security awareness platform that we've been pushing. Mm -hmm. and upload it for everybody else to see. You know, I think a, a big part of this is the whole notion that user awareness or security awareness doesn't have to be, you know, bland and boring. You know, I, I remember Ed Amoroso sort of talking about this notion, you know, this memo, you shall do this, you shall do that. And, you know, your, your eyes glass over before you get through the second sentence. This whole notion is around making it just a little bit entertaining and uh, getting people engaged in it a little bit and perhaps a little more thought-provoking along the way. Yeah, we've had a, a pretty great response over the years where we've been doing, like you said, Brian, mm -hmm. we try to take something that might seem like it's a little boring to people and something that might seem like it's a little mm -hmm. too complicated for people to handle and then have a little bit of fun with it. We mm -hmm. do these cartoon videos with Murray, who's very popular. Uh, we do a bunch of other different programs that try to teach lessons in a way that's entertaining. We've had a really good response mm -hmm. over the years. Well, and I presume that the opportunity 
to be creative is a little bit more engaging from your point of view as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Going from uh, emails that say you shall do this and putting those bullet points that nobody reads to putting together video that lots of people watch and comment mm -hmm. and, and learn from is has been very successful. All right, so what do you think is gonna be next in the whole user awareness space? Well, <laughs> we're, we're going to keep on doing what we've been doing internally mm -hmm. and just trying to keep people involved with doing something that's a little bit fun while mm -hmm. they're, they're learning at, at the same time. I mean, another thing that I want to mention is that AT&T Corporate is also doing a big external facing program during the month of October, I mean, mm -hmm. as we, we do all the time to push security and make sure all of, uh, that everybody knows how to keep their networks safe. Mm -hmm. um, and throughout the, the month, you're going to see a whole bunch of different things from AT&T. You're going to see some papers. You'll, we're going to be speaking at different events, doing some things on social media. Um, our annual cybersecurity conference is towards the end of the month. And we also have uh, the AT&T Security Resource Center, which is uh, something that, that customers can go and visit and get some lessons on keeping themselves safe. We'll put all of those links in the, uh, mm -hmm. the notes for the show. So if you're watching, um, Go ahead and look down. You'll see uh, a whole bunch of notes below and links where that you can follow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the cybersecurity conference has been a growing event each year. Um, I think uh, business customers at AT&T are invited to uh, participate in the conference. Mm -hmm. uh, I know I have a short speaking engagement associated with that. Looking oh, well, forward to it. Well, then we have it. to go. And I, I think we also try to get the threat track crew there so we can meet people in person. I, I really enjoy talking with folks and you know, learning more about what their security concerns are so that we can try to address it as a part of our program as well as obviously as a, uh, a company providing services for customers. So yeah, it's a, big, it's it's a, big a great deal. time. It's a, this year it's going to be a full day, I think, plus a, an evening and mm -hmm. it's in Times Square and in Manhattan. So if you come by, I believe the admission is about as low as you can possibly yeah. get. <laughs> Easy yeah. to get into. So check out the links below yeah. and uh, you'll, you'll see how you can register. And how can you go wrong in Times Square even on a bad day? It's a good day there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so uh, thank you very very much, Dan, for that. And uh, Joe, let's talk with you a little bit here. And you know, I'm got my thumb over oh, my yeah. webcam, <laughs> just in case there might be a camera pointed oh, at yeah, me right, somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this was uh, something that came up in the news, uh, sort of our, our world uh, a little bit. The FBI Director James Comey recently revealed that he covers his own webcam yeah. and also said that he encourages others to do the same. So um, there was an article that uh, sort of looked at, you know, whether or not this is really necessary, what the likelihood of an exploit based on your laptop camera. What it kind of dug into is the reason for some, why someone would do this. Really, it's to, so that a, a hacker could prove that they have control of your, uh, of your device or even mm -hmm. to, you know, grab some embarrassing video content and sort of it's you know goes hand in hand probably with the ransomware kind of thing but really the microphone is just as vulnerable as the camera and you you'd have a tough time putting tape over all your microphones on your mm -hmm. uh on your laptop I, I think mark zuckerberg released that he covers his camera as well and i think he also covers his microphones mm -hmm. but i mean mark zuckerberg and the fbi director are a lot more um targeted kind of folks for this than you know your average user so you know a few other things on this the you know laptop cameras they don't point down at your keys so they're not as susceptible for uh you know keyboard keystroke monitoring and that mm -hmm. sort of thing um but 
something like a conference room camera that does tilt and zoom. Um, the recommendation for that was to sort of point it at a wall in, in default mode. Mm -hmm. And um, in general, you know, I think the, the conclusion was that covering the cameras is a good idea, but the, you know, the risk is fairly small and there's a lot of other factors involved like the microphone and uh, mm -hmm. what the camera is really looking at. So, yeah. um, Is it a pretty safe bet that if somebody's got control of your webcam, they can access pretty much anything else you're doing in the computer at that point anyway, so. Yeah, I mean, it's usually probably a side effect. You know, they probably already have your machine and then they grab their camera just to prove it to you. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's another one of those things we see on all the TV shows, right? Mr. Robot and CSI and all mm -hmm. those that, it's a, it's a little more of a whiz bang than it probably really looks like in, in the real world, so. Yeah. Well, it, uh, it's one of those things too that it feels like somebody can understand that a little bit more of a risk because the idea of maybe somebody controlling your computer and getting your data is abstract, but I guess people do enough things in front of their webcams that they have yeah. to be really concerned about it. Right. Yeah, well, you know, I think one of the things perhaps that it, it, it's easy to overlook, I mean, they may be after really kind of stealing some stuff off of the computer, but there isn't really any glamour in that. I mean, if you really want a TMZ moment, yeah. <laughs> it's when people aren't really paying attention, they don't realize they're on camera. And you know, if there is an opportunity to get hours and hours of a video of somebody sitting in this, there's gonna be a time where you're gonna catch them picking their nose or something. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it's something like that that I, say, I think would be the concern. You know, who, who wants that kind of press? Right. It doesn't, it's not really gonna do anything for you. But in terms of the real threat, I think to your point, if they're in there, they've already got you know that the real threat is there, and, yeah. and the the real threats aren't going to make it known by you know publishing a picture. They're right. going to kind of hide there and stay persistent. Yeah, and the the solution to this isn't really fancy, right? You could go from a piece of electrical tape to one of those mm -hmm. things that anyone attending right. a conference you'll get to walk away with fifteen of them. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I have heard of cases where folks have gone to the trouble of actually you know opening the computer and clipping the connections to those devices to make sure that they're not going to work. Of course, then. That becomes a basically a permanent. Right, you voided your impact. warranty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all that yeah, kind of absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. So, well, it's a good point. You know, I think a lot of folks have become cognizant of this kind of concern. Uh, but um, you know, it's it, it it's 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 good to have the discussion and to really consider what the uh, what the impacts might be if you know you happen to get caught on com camera and yeah. Perhaps well, just doing something. One more thing that I would add too is that in the article they mentioned mobile devices as well as mm -hmm. a potential problem. You know, we talk about an infected mobile device. That's something that's going to be a lot harder to detect, and it's going to be a lot harder to protect Surprise, because yes. what are you going to do mm -hmm. with your phone and your tablet to protect it from that? And and uh, mobile device uh, cameras get frequent use, and the microphone gets frequent use. Yeah. So it's not as if you can and do something really effectively. And they go more really places, and they are exposed to more people too. But by the same token, I think that's an environment where I think the industry learned a lot from the growing pains of the PC industry and put much better controls in place, or at least the key additional controls in place where you have the opportunity to control those things better, which apps actually have access to your microphone and the camera. So long as the device isn't entirely compromised, you still have, uh, I think, more control of the environment. Uh, to this day, I don't think there's really an opportunity to go in and say which applications have control uh, access to the camera on a uh, 
on a, a typical PC. Depends, iOS allows you to do it. And I believe in some versions, mm -hmm. uh, especially the newer versions of Android, they let you do uh, something. That's what similar. I mean. They, they do allow oh, that in yeah. mobile devices. The desktops, oh, less yep. so. Okay. <laughs> or the laptops, I should say. Yeah. So that's uh, an important aspect of this. All right. Very cool. So, John, let's go to you. And um, I guess, uh, I'm sorry, you're going to have to explain this one to me. <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, we have the, I guess, the challenge of SDKs being secure and um, just making sure that we're doing it, uh, doing it properly. And perhaps this is an example that we can learn from. Exactly, Brian. The, you know, one of the th challenges we have, especially really in the mobile world, is that, you know, we produce an app, we produce any kind of application, web server, whatever. We use APIs and SDKs, we build it once, and those are the things that we, you know, we may either make tweaks and changes to code, but we don't update the SDK, we don't update mm -hmm. the APIs. And some of those end up having, you know, their own little, you know, concerns here. So th that's kind of where I, I kind of got this story uh, and wanted to talk about it is Adobe updated their Air SDK after some findings were found, or findings were found, that the, uh, uh, some of the analytic data that was getting passed was not encrypted. Mm. You know, fairly, you know, innocuous thing. I mean, we see every application sends some kind of an analytic type of data. And sometimes it's personal, like a location. Sometimes it's sensitive, like a username or a credit card. Usually not analytics, credit cards, hope not. But, you know, it's the type of data that you might see get it passed from your device to, you know, to, to a server somewhere just to track, you know, hey, what you clicked on or what, uh, you know, what kind of interest you might have. In, in this case, uh, the Air SDK was passing these analytics unencrypted. Nobody really knows what the analytics consisted of. Nobody thinks that they're, uh, you know, real super sensitive, but mm -hmm. we don't know. And, and it just speaks to the fact, you know, well, two things really. One is, is analytic data gets passed all the time and mm -hmm. it should be encrypted. And, and two is that when we have these SDKs and APIs, developers need to be cognizant that these also need to be updated on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and it's really sad in, in today's environment that we produce an app and we don't touch it until the next feature has to come out, not from a security perspective, but a feature. Mm -hmm. and, and so th this is what we're saying is it's just for at least for air, you know, people need to be aware and recompile or rebuild yeah. the, the application. Yeah, you know, I think uh, to, to just play sort of the, uh, the counterpoint for a moment here, John, one of the challenges with these APIs is the fact that you want them to provide compatibility. And um, one of the issues is that once you do something in a particular way and somebody starts using it in that particular way, removing that capability is an arduous process. And I think that's one of these situations where it becomes very, and just consider how long we've been dealing with the existence of old encryption technology in the browsers. And finally, you know, when somebody comes out with a compelling, really screaming at you, you can break this cryptography and it can be downgraded, you know, sort of the, uh, a lot of the uh, vulnerabilities that we've been working through last year. That's the only time when they finally get deprecated from the, from the tools. And I think that perhaps this is a kind of a similar situation is once you do it and it starts to get used, even if it was wrong, it's really hard to change it. And, you know, I think not to take this too far off on a tangent, but I think that's one of the reasons that we have so much difficulty as an industry protecting email. That is, it was created, you know, SMTP, and POP3 services were designed to just send email in the clear. 
and then just trying to overlay encryption on that and have interoperability in a large community and not everybody agrees about the same way. You always have to go to that least common denominator from a security standpoint or where it originally started. This is the way it was originally defined in order to uh, guarantee that interoperability. So it, it is a fundamental challenge and I think um, it's one of these things where you really have to at some point bite the bullet and make the change and kind of force the user base to do that. And in cases like this, you don't want to, you know, really disappoint the user community and have them get, you know, disappointed with your, your tools and service because you're trying to make it better. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it's, it's one of those things is like when you're, when you're coming out with a new release, I mean, maybe not necessarily a, a dot release, but a major yeah. release, rebuild the SDKs, rebuild the yeah. APIs at that yeah. time. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. So thanks for bringing that. I think that's, uh, that, that, that brings a point that uh, I think is very important for the industry in general to recognize that uh, once you do it wrong, it's really hard to make it right again. <laughs> <laughs> so the next item here, I wanted to uh, basically, you know, this story has gotten a lot of coverage uh, in terms of, you know, a lot of media organizations basically repeating this line, someone is learning to take down the internet. This was an article or actually a blog from Bruce Schneier who was originally posted in Lawfare, the Lawfare blog. And I think he's recently posted in his, uh, in his own blog. And, you know, I just wanted to at least provide a little bit of commentary. I'll let you go ahead and read his, uh, his, his commentary. But uh, I have to say that based on what he described, Personally, I have not seen this kind of activity. Um, and, and by the way, Bruce Schneier is very credible. I, he's probably in the top 10, what I would describe as credible sources of information about security. His primary, um, you know, his, his roots come from cryptography uh, as a, a, a crypto analyst, or actually as a, a, develop, a developer of cryptography. Uh, I think Blowfish is an algorithm that he had developed actually as a candidate um, that would, you know, for the uh, the for the standard that uh, ultimately NIST had chosen AES as the uh, standard, but Blowfish I think was one of the candidates associated with that. Uh, he's written a number of books on security and everything. Uh, but um, in this particular case, I, I just quite honestly I'm not familiar with what he's referring to. I'll tell you what we have been saying, and these are things that we have been reporting on this program for quite some time. First of all, commercialization of denial of service attacks. There is no question that that exists. Um, the whole notion of uh, making attacks, just, you know, being able to purchase an attack and use it for video game, you know, in video gaming and uh, the, there are kids that are doing that. It is not the right thing to be doing. It's not legal to be uh, conducting denial of service attacks, but nevertheless, that activity is going on. Uh, there's certainly denial of service attacks, extortion that's taking place where uh, people threaten to uh, attack businesses. There are spam emails around that, uh, and sometimes they back it up with attacks, sometimes they don't. So th these things are, in fact, bolstering technology to f facilitate multiple attacks simultaneously and developing new attack vectors. So commercialization of denial of service attacks definitely exists. The second aspect, which, again, we talk about regularly, there are huge botnets being built out of, uh, you know, poorly secured IoT devices, home routers, Linux machines. There are all kinds of articles. Uh, we report on this on a regular uh, on a regular basis as well in our Internet Weather Report. Uh, there was just an article, I think, on, a, you know, a botnet of a million devices, IoT gadgets. This is predominantly the CCTV 
uh, DVRs. And so those, in fact, are being used in denial service attacks. So, you know, perhaps there are symptoms of these things that Bruce is referring to. Uh, what he was actually referring to is, um, I think, uh, attacks that seemed like testing activity to see how uh, organizations are protecting themselves. And uh, last but not least here, I think it's reasonable to expect. Um, it's not uh, any secret that there are a number of nations that are trying to develop cyber attack capabilities. So it's reasonable to expect that there are nations developing those capabilities and they may be you know, doing some tests to see, you know, to be basically develop on their strategic uh, positioning and uh, global politics. That's, uh, excuse me, global politics. So that's just really a, a, a fact of our um, global economy, our global um, political system that, that exists. So, so Brian, well, you mentioned briefly like the, the testing activity and that seemed like it was a large part of the, the story that mm -hmm. he wrote, talking about the activity of ramping up a, a level of attack, then backing off and then ramping up again. Mm -hmm. To me as a semi-lay person, that seems like something that, like you said, we talk about on a regular basis and seems like it would be a natural set of activity. Do you think that there was anything about what he was talking about in here that was different than what aggressors would normally do when testing defenses? No, I think that's a fairly standard approach to conducting attacks. That is, uh, if, you know, if there's somebody that's motivated to attack an organization, I think the key here perhaps is the motivation. Is there a motivation to attack that organization? Is an extortion attack, for example, uh, are, are they disgruntled at that organization for some reason and trying to make a, or send a political message of, of some sort? So if there is some motivation um, other than that, you know, if the, if the motivation is testing, so that, you know, be perhaps to make a distinction between the two. But I think the other aspect of this is typically, it's, it's very typical that somebody will try to conduct an attack in a particular way. If that doesn't appear to be working, increase the attack. Mm -hmm. If that still doesn't appear to be working, change the attack. If that still doesn't appear to be working, change the attack again. You know, try stopping and starting. You know, things like that to see what attacks are actually going to work. Mm -hmm. And uh, those could even be precursors to something as simple as an extortion attack. You know, give me, you know, 10 Bitcoin and I'll stop this nonsense that uh, is obviously annoying. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, obviously you wouldn't want to pay that. Uh, you know, I, I think there were a couple of scenarios that somebody had kind of painted where it was really extenuating circumstances where you might say, oh, you know, maybe it would be better to pay it. But for the most part, you really want to stand the ground, uphold some principles and not pay any sort of ransom. You know, the best thing to do is be fundamentally prepared and have an organization helping to protect against denial of service attacks that basically does that on a professional basis. You know, there are a number of reports that uh, from VeriSign, I think he had cited VeriSign's report. Um, Akamai has a regular report. We do a regular report, not necessarily specifically on, on denial of service attacks, but we have reported on some of the trends associated with denial of service attacks. It's, it's overwhelming that there are increases in denial of service attacks. There are increases in frequency and the size and the variation. And I think it's largely attributable to what we had talked about earlier. That is, they've become commercialized. There are services doing this. And there are law enforcement activities to try to suppress it. I think just on last week's show, there were a couple of arrests associated with the uh, two Israeli um, young kids, 18-year-olds, that were associated with the, uh, the VDOS uh, attack 
platform that were arrested. And, um, you know, that was a partly associated with an FBI investigation and uh, very positive in the sense that hopefully that will create some deterrence for some of these commercialized attack tools. But um, there are still a number that are out there and the attack activity continues. So. I mean, also with the IoT um, sources joining these botnets, I mean, I think the capability to have more and bigger DDoS attacks is there just because of absolutely. the availability of resources. There's no question they're taking advantage so, of that. That's yeah. absolutely true. So uh, that's another aspect of the deterrence that need to come to play is deter the motivation and also deter the technology or the tools that are available to do it easily. Which is why we're all here. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so uh, thank you for the question. I think it's a very good point. So that's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at attthreattrack at list.att.com. And you can find ATT Threat Track on the AT&T Tech channel. It's on YouTube as well as iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at ATT Business. I'd like to thank you, John Markley, for joining us today. Thank, thank you, you, Dan Rubin. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Joe Harden. Right. And I'm Brian Rexrode. We'll be back next week with a new episode. And until then, Keep your network safe. The views expressed on AT&T Threat Track are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.